The Hamlet Podcast, episode 144. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. I feel like this scene has been going on for longer than most. Claudius has been talking at Laertes, provoking and manipulating him for several weeks' worth of episodes now, but he'll actually get to the point during this one. We ended last time as Claudius had just begun to talk about love and time. For the sake of his argument, I'll add on the last four lines from last week and we'll look at his entire speech. Not that I think you did not love your father, but that I know love is begun by time, and that I see in passages of proof time qualifies the spark and fire of it. There lives within the very flame of love a kind of wick or snuff that will abate it, and nothing is at a like goodness still. For goodness, growing to a pleurisy, dies in his own too much. That we would do, we should do when we would, for this would changes and hath abatements and delays as many as there are tongues, our hands, our accidents. And then this should is like a spendthrift sigh that hurts by easing, but to the quick of the ulcer. Hamlet comes back. What would you undertake to show yourself your father's son in deed more than in words? As we covered last time, he's suggesting that time and love don't mix too well. Time qualifies the spark and fire of it. The more time goes by, the cooler Laertes might feel, and the less inclined he will be to take revenge for his father's death. What Claudius is saying, essentially, is that there's no time like the present, since as time passes, so will all feelings. There lives within the very flame of love a kind of wick or snuff that will abate it. Claudius is likening love to a candle. The wick and the snuff are the parts of a candle that burn, as if to say that what makes the fire of love burn is also what it will consume, so that even as we feel love, or any feeling, it will be consumed, just as the light of a candle can only happen as the wick and the snuff are being consumed by it. Way, way back, in one of his earlier soliloquies, Hamlet had spoken of his mother's love for his father, how she would hang on him as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on. Now we are in the opposite territory, things destroyed even as they are consumed. Claudius continues that nothing is at a like goodness still. Nothing is ever constant. He says, For goodness growing to a pleurisy dies in his own too much. Here, the image is actually based on a misapprehension. Pleurisy is a condition that affects the lungs and causes particular difficulty with breathing. Its name makes it sound like it could be caused by excess. Plus or pluris in Latin means more. Think of plus or plural in English. It was assumed, because of this grammatical idea, that pleurisy could be caused by an excess of humours in the body. Too much. In fact, the name comes from Greek first, and I'll put more details of this in the show notes. I don't know if Shakespeare knew enough about all of this, but it certainly makes Claudius look like he's being very clever here, talking about excess and goodness, causing a disease that is caused by excess, so even goodness could give you pleurisy if you had too much of it in you. So don't be good, he's saying. 
it might kill you. Now we're getting to it. That we would do, we should do when we would, for this wood changes and half abatements and delays as many as there are tongues, our hands, our accidents. Claudius is saying, whatever we're thinking about doing, we should do it when we think about it. The idea of it, the I would do it, all too easily can be changed or put aside. It is subject to abatements and delays. It could be stopped or put off in as many different ways as there are different tongues, hands and accidents that might get in the way. You could be talked out of it or put out of it or distracted by accidents you can't even anticipate. Other people might get in your way, so again, the time is always now. Action. In yet another way, Claudius is grooming Laertes to be the opposite of Hamlet. Hamlet spends so much of the play thinking about what to do and wondering, while Laertes is being told to act immediately for fear of missing his chance. Claudius continues his warning. And then this should is like a spendthrift sigh that hurts by easing. Subtly, already, he's changed it from would, still a possibility, to should. Even in his grammatical choices, he's making Laertes feel like the possibility could pass him by. If Laertes doesn't seize the moment, his chance will be gone and he will have squandered his opportunity. A spendthrift is someone who throws his money away, Laertes, likewise, would be like someone who wasted his chance. And then even his sighs would be painful. He'd exhale and feel the regret with every breath, every sigh he breathed to try to console himself. It's quite elegant that the through line here ends with a sigh, since one of the main symptoms of pleurisy, as mentioned, is significant trouble breathing. Even Claudius knows that this has been quite a long-winded speech, and he cuts himself short but back to the quick of the ulcer. Cutting to the quick is cutting to the very heart of something. To be quick is to be alive. Claudius is returning, he says, to the heart of the matter. Ironically, the very next thing he says is Hamlet's name. We need be in no doubt that he considers Hamlet an ulcer in his kingdom. An ulcer is a sore or a rupture. Hamlet also mentioned an ulcerous place when speaking with Gertrude about Claudius, Evidently, uncle and nephew have similar feelings about each other. Claudius is getting to his point now. Hamlet comes back. What would you undertake to show yourself your father's son in deed more than in words? Laertes, what would you actually do to avenge your father rather than just talking about it? In the book club episode covering Much Ado About Nothing, we mentioned how Beatrice exclaims that she wishes she could eat Claudio's heart in the marketplace. Even more violent than that image is Laertes' answer to Claudius's question. What would he undertake? To cut his throat in the church. Not only would he kill a man, the crown prince and the heir apparent to boot, but do it in a church before the whole community and before God. Something of a difference here between that image and how Hamlet could not bring himself to kill Claudius while he was praying. Claudius is now hearing just what he wants to hear from Laertes, but naturally he has his own ideas of how things should proceed. No place indeed should murder sanctuaries. Revenge should have no bounds. But, good Laertes, will you do this? Keep close within your chamber. 
Hamlet returned, shall know you are come home. We'll put on those shall praise your excellence, and set a double varnish on the fame the Frenchman gave you, bring you in fine together, and wager on your heads. He, being remiss, most generous and free from all contriving, will not peruse the foils, so that with ease, or with a little shuffling, you may choose a sword unbated, and, in a pass of practice, requite him for your father. Hamlet, the murderer, should not be protected anywhere, not even in a church, and Laertes' revenge should have no limits. No place indeed should murder sanctuarize, revenge should have no bounds. But the king has a rather subtler plan in mind than slitting Hamlet's throat in a church, and so yet again, having built up this impressionable young man, he leads him in a different direction. But, good Laertes, will you do this? Keep close within your chamber. Hamlet returned, shall know you are come home. He suggests that Laertes should keep himself to himself in his chamber, since Hamlet will hear soon enough that he's back from Paris. And of course, as we'll see in Act 5, Scene 1, the two of them meeting without a plan can lead to violence. Instead, Claudius will arrange for people to talk him up and discuss his fencing prowess, adding to, doubling, the praise already heaped on him by the Frenchman Lamond. And then the natural outcome will be that they'll arrange a duel and bet on it. We'll put on those shall praise your excellence, and set a double varnish on the fame the Frenchman gave you, bringing you in fine together, and wager on your heads. In fine here means in the end, finally. This time the Latin that Claudius is using is correct. Of course this won't be any old bout of fencing, there's more to it than that. He, being remiss, most generous, and free from all contriving, will not peruse the foils, so that with ease, or with a little shuffling, you may choose a sword unbated, and in a pass of practice, requite him for your father. Here Claudius is suggesting that Hamlet is careless, or remiss, and that he's so generous, good-natured, and free from all contriving, that he won't bother to check the fencing swords or foils before they spar. Do we really think that Claudius thinks like this? Surely he has some sense that Hamlet is a threat. His anger at the performance of the mousetrap, his correct assumption that Hamlet was hoping to kill him rather than Polonius, and the young man's provocative behaviour before he was sent to England, all suggest a tactical, dangerous adversary. He's certainly not good-natured or free from contrivance at all. It really feels as though Claudius is lying to Laertes. Surprise, surprise as though to convince him it will be a very easy win against Hamlet. Again, in the small details, the king proves that he will sacrifice anyone as necessary. Otherwise, it's quite a simple plan. They'll set up this fencing bout, and then while Hamlet isn't looking because he is so guileless, Laertes can pick up a sword that is unbated, so that it doesn't have the little button on the end that prevents them from being lethal weapons, and he can attack Hamlet for real. It'll be an easy switch. He can do it straight away, or with a little shuffling. This is such a nice little word to use for someone arranging a murder weapon. And then Laertes can go for Hamlet in a pass of practice. This could mean that he could stab Hamlet during a practice bout, but actually, the word practice has repeatedly negative connotations throughout the play. 
Practice is used not for a warm-up or a rehearsal, so much as a deliberate strategy, a planned attack. I think it's more likely that this is what Claudius means. After all this setup, the fatal blow with an unbated sword will be the last step of this practice. And thus, after all this talk, Claudius has explained how Laertes can requite him for his father. Amazingly, Laertes has a better idea, but we'll save that for the next episode. As ever, thank you for tuning in, and for all the grisly and grammatical details of pleurisy, fencing and ulcers, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at thehamletpodcast.com. I hope you're doing well wherever you're tuning in from in the world, and I'll speak to you next time.